...with nothing to do with the pit, but was right here in her home. With Mavanwi still in her arms, she'd gone to investigate. The moment she'd opened the door, a blinding cloud of smoke had billowed into the room, making her cough and choke. When she'd found it impossible to get upstairs, she'd run out into the street screaming for help. Alan Pritchard from the house next door was first on the doorstep, followed by some of the other men who lived nearby. They'd wasted no time. They'd sent for the fire brigade, and one of the younger ones had made offer to run for the pit to fetch Ivor Jenkins. It was only when Sarah began whimpering about her mam still being in the house that any of them knew that Gwen Jenkins was inside. The firemen did their best. They put up ladders and tried to get in through the bedroom windows, but the smoke was so thick and so acrid that it choked them. There was no hope of rescuing Gwen. No one could understand how Sarah and the baby had managed to escape until Ivor Jenkins arrived home. Then bit by bit, between her hysterical sobs, she explained how she'd been downstairs with the baby, but her mum had been upstairs in bed. Trying to get some sleep she was, Sarah sobbed. Tired out, see, because the baby was being so muddy. I thought if I took Mavanwi downstairs, where Mum couldn't hear her crying, it would give Mum a chance to sleep. She was getting into bed when I left her. There was a candle burning on the chest by the bed, but she said she'd snuff it out before she went to sleep. I don't know what happened after that. Perhaps she forgot about it, or it fell on the bed and set fire to the covers. It was a feather bed. That's why the smoke was so terrible and smelled so awful. Go on. The next thing I knew was that there was smoke coming into the room downstairs, choking me. I dashed out of the house with Mavanwi. For the moment, I forgot how her mum was still up there, she whispered pathetically, as she looked up at the dark figure of her father, shrouded in coal dust, his eyes white pools in the black grime of his thin face. Ivor Jenkins regarded his fourteen-year-old daughter solemnly, His dark eyes glittered fanatically. It's the will of the Lord, he pronounced in a tone that had no compassion or feeling of any sort. His wrath is terrible to behold. She was only trying to get some sleep, Dada. She was worn out, see, with Mavanwi crying so much. Evo Jenkins regarded his daughter sternly. Lying there in bed, reading one of those stupid love magazines? Sarah shook her head. I don't know about that, Dada, only that she was trying to get some sleep. Mavanui was crying and keeping her awake, so I tried to help by bringing her downstairs so that Mam could have some quiet. The devil's trash, that's what those magazines are, Ivor intoned, as though he was not listening to a word Sarah said. Don't you dare let me catch you reading one mind, he thundered. Sarah bit down on her lower lip to stop herself saying anything. She knew he hated her mam reading Love Letter, the magazine Martha Pritchard, their next-door neighbour, passed on to her after she'd finished with it. Soppy, sentimental rubbish it might be, but it took her mam out of herself, and into a world where a woman didn't spend all her waking hours cleaning and scrimping and trying to make ends meet. It was a world where the men didn't come home from work, grimy from head to toe with coal dust, and expect to find a tin bath of hot water waiting in front of the fire.
and their wife standing by to scrub the ingrained filth from their back. In the stories in Love Letter, the women were treated kindly, not bawled at when things went wrong. They wore pretty dresses and lived in lovely homes where there were always fresh flowers and soft music in the background, and they served up delicious meals to their families and friends. Sarah and her mother both knew that Eivor disapproved of them reading such things. He called them fairy stories for stupid women who didn't know when they were well off. Often, Gwen would hide the magazine down the back of her chair when she heard Eivor's footsteps in the road outside and pray that he wouldn't spot it. Whenever he did, he took a sadistic pleasure in making her toss it straight into the fire. Then he made a point of docking tuppence from her housekeeping money to teach her a lesson she wouldn't forget. He always made a great ceremony of putting the tuppence into the collection box.